Hey, Maddie. How's Hi, Sebastian. Good. Oh my gosh, this is so cool and so weird to see you on my screen right now. <laughs> I'm a wow. fan. I'm fangirling a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's just great news. Happy to be on screen with you. How you feeling? Awesome. Good. I'm. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was actually um, listening to your like Seb show podcast today, nice. um, which was awesome. I like binged almost every episode. So that like oh, made yeah, me feel better. You. Yeah. It made me feel better, but yeah, I've, I've never like really spoken publicly about this. I've definitely like all of my close friends are well aware of all of this stuff. And I talk about it pretty openly amongst like the people that I know, but yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really excited. I know like once we get into it, I'll, I'll definitely, the nerves will go away. So <laughs> totally just could not feel that more. It's funny now that I have that other podcast, I'll start saying yeah. things just like in conversation. And I'm like, fuck, I totally said that on the podcast. And if people like know it and listen to it, I get in my head about like, oh, they're going to think I'm like a jukebox and I'm just like repeating what I've already said or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> so no, honestly, like I appreciate it. Like whenever you recognize you're like, oh man, wait, people are going to think this way. And then you're like, oh wait, I shouldn't think that way. It, like makes me feel better. I was, I was listening to it while I was cooking lunch today and I was like, yes, I totally relate to that. Like sometimes I'm in a conversation or I've done a lot of public speaking and I'll say something and I'll just be like, oh, thank God. Like that wasn't recorded. So I think that's why I've been a little nervous about this. I know it's recorded. So I'm like, oh, anything I say will be on the internet forever, but I just need to take the drama out of it. I can, I can tend to be a little dramatic. So um, don't yeah. we all well I'm so glad <laughs> yeah. that it was helpful and uh yeah it's yeah. like that podcast is just as much you know for me I'm like trying to figure it all out too right like I, yeah I, uh, <laughs> when you sent me that email and you were like oh it's just like you said nobody's thinking the things that you're worried they're thinking about you I'm like I know and I still do that like yeah <laughs> constantly you know so it's just yeah we're aware of it and that's like honestly the main battle so I think it's right just, trying to be as aware as possible which it sounds like we both are and we'll uh, yeah, yeah definitely um, and I feel the same way too like just this is what I mean like I'm also in my head like during the conversation like fuck why did I phrase that question that way like, you know, whatever so it's yeah like it's, yeah we're all, we're both people and I yeah. think once we understand we're both people it makes everything a lot easier <laughs> yeah exactly we'll just hop right into it what happened to you all right I am 23 I'm an engineering master's student um I was abused by my mother and I have a very interesting relationship with my dad and my stepmom who's been in my life. I also have recently within the past year been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder or BPD and PTSD. Um, so that's kind of just like the overview and I'll just get a little bit into my childhood and talk about, I guess, how my, my childhood influenced both of these uh, labels, I guess. Um, so that when, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's good, do good. it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, so when I was about a year old, my parents split up. So I haven't really known a life where they've both, um, you know, been in the same household. My Mom lived here in, I'm, I'm from Arizona. Um, my mom lived here in Arizona up until I was the age of nine. And during that time, I'd live with my mom during the week and I'd visit my dad on the weekends. And my dad got remarried when I was seven, but started dating my stepmom when I was around five. So she's really been in my life for, for all, all that I you know can really remember. And uh, when I was about nine, my mom moved to Florida. I think she said to just be 
closer to her family. And that experience was a little abrupt because I just came home from school one day and she was like, yeah, so um, I'm moving to Florida. And she was very like upset about it, it seemed like. And I think she was upset because my dad didn't want me to move with her. But she said that she was moving to Florida and she was taking my older brother with her. He's four years older than me. And then I was going to live with my dad. So for about a few months in fourth grade, I think I, that's how old I was, I lived with my dad. And then shortly after I went to visit my mom, and as in shortly, I mean like the day that I was there, she was already trying to convince me to move, to move out there with her. And up until this point, I never really, you know, I was nine, like I never really saw any issues with like my relationship with my mom or my dad or my stepmom. Like I felt, you know, very loved. Um, and I didn't, I don't have any like memories that really stand out that were bad, but it was Christmas Eve and my mom decided to, um, she was trying to like pressure me to really move out there with her. And I didn't totally understand why, um, but she told me that if I told my dad that I hated him, then he would let me move there. And I really didn't want to say that um, because even at that young age, I understood how hurtful it could be. And I love my dad. I don't hate my dad, but I'm just, I'm on the phone with him and my mom is just, you know, telling me to just say, just say, just say, just pressure, you know, she's pressuring me and I'm sobbing and I said it and I like ran away and I don't really remember the rest of the conversation, but all I know is that it worked. And my dad decided to let me go and move and live with my mom. And the agreement was that um, I could live with her in Florida, but I would have to come back and visit him every winter, summer, and spring break. And there was a very strict rule. My mom wasn't allowed to have any strange men in the house. And of, of course, you know, she later on broke that rule. And thankfully, nothing happened to me there. Um, all of my abuse came from my mother, thank God, I guess. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so she, like in that moment, it's it's funny because we we always sort of like take on the responsibility as kids to try to make the adults that are around us feel yes. okay feels like no matter what you've been through it's like we all have some sort of an experience with that right. and i'm i'm curious like were you so she was basically like pressuring you and trying to get you to do this for what reason well so every every reason that she and i'm happy you asked that the the reasoning that she would use is that like her family wasn't whole. So if I didn't move out there with her, then I was preventing the family from being whole. So it was like the pressure was put on me, you know, and she talked about how she missed me and how she loved me. And she's like, if you love me, you would do this for me. Right. And of course, like, I'm like, yeah, I love you, but I don't know. Like I had just moved schools again, a, Fun fact, um, throughout the course of my 12 years of school before college, I went to 10 different schools. Whoa. Yeah, crazy. Uh, just because my mom has a tendency to have that mentality of like the grass is always greener. So we moved around a lot, um, even before she moved to Florida. But regardless, I had just like uprooted my life again and started living with my dad. And I remember missing my mom, but I wanted to like, you know, I, I had friends there and I liked living with my dad and my stepmom. And But all I know is that she was really put, putting the pressure on me to move out there. Years later, 
I kind of came to understand that what I think her motivation was. My mom was not very responsible with her money and my dad is pretty well off. They had joint custody over me. Um, When I lived with my dad, my mom didn't send him any money, even though technically like the agreement said that she had to, but my dad just didn't feel it was necessary. But when I was with my mom, he would have to send her money. So I don't know if that was the main reason, but that um, years later, and I'll kind of get into when I eventually decided to move away, she said things along those lines of like, if you were to move away, like we're financially dependent on your dad giving me money because you live with me. So I think that that might've been part of why, because at that point she was living in a trailer in like somewhere in, in Tampa, you know, and at nine, like it, it was really hard. And it, it wasn't even until I think two years ago where I was able to talk about that experience just because of how horrible I felt. And part of why I felt so horrible too is after I did move out there, whenever I went and visited my dad again, which I believe was that summer, my stepmom made it a huge point to say that like I did something very horrible and that I really hurt him. And I've ha- I had that guilt and I still like feel, you know, emotional talking about it. It's like my, my mom manipulated me and, and bullied me into saying something really horrible to my dad that upset him so much that, you know, my mom got her away. And then somehow another adult in my life who I looked up to, which was my stepmom, was putting all of the blame on me for this decision (laughs) that I didn't even feel like was, was my decision, you know, like I didn't want to. And I told her multiple times I didn't want to, but it was like, Oh, it's, it was what was best for my mom. And that's the, the thing that's so difficult about situations like these is that you like, you don't want to break up the family. You don't want to leave mom in this apparently like isolated space that she won't feel whole in. And yeah. No, no kids should feel no kids should be responsible for for mm-hmm. juggling the emotions of their parents. Yeah. But absolutely. So many of us do and and like you know when I was growing up my parents are still together but there were you know numerous times where they would be fighting to the point where in my head I was sure that if I didn't step in in this moment and mm-hmm. like do something to try yeah. to make them feel okay that that was going to be the last straw. And right. Even though it's different, you know, they weren't like, fix this, Sebastian, which your situation was uh, more extreme in that way. It's a similar Mm -hmm. feeling of responsibility. And I can only imagine when your mom is like yelling at you to to do this, how stressful and confusing that would be. And like, also, it's like you you don't want to hurt your dad's feelings. So it's like, yeah, and it's almost it almost felt like I had to like, choose what parent I favorited more. Because it's like either way, the way it was presented was I was going to be hurting someone. And I think that if my, what I hope is I hope that if my, if my dad had understood that, and if my stepmom had understood how that had happened, then maybe they, you know, wouldn't have responded the way that they did. Um, But I mean, regardless, you know, it was still, it was still just like horrible. And it was one of the first instances I can remember where, I knew that I was responsible, like directly responsible for my, my parents, like feelings, specifically my mom. And because she just put so much pressure on how miserable she would be if I wasn't there, you know? And like, that was very different than all of the years when, so from the ages of nine to 15, I lived with my mom. I went to school in Florida and 
going to school in Florida is just crazy to begin with. Like public school in Florida is just crazy to begin with. But then also having um, my mother the way that she was, it was a, a really crazy time for me. Um, but what was it my like dad never her, uh, during that time? Yeah, yeah. So um, my mom, yeah, I kind of like used the blanket term of, of abuse, um, but she really abused me in like any way possible, I think, except for sexually. Um, she she emotionally abused me, she verbally abused me, psychologically abused me, and I'll get into kind of like what she she did. Um, she also physically abused me some. I only say some because she mainly um, hurt my older brother more physically. I don't know if it was like a gender thing because he was my brother and, and you know, he was a boy and I was a girl. But some of the things just specifically with the physical abuse is I was not only responsible for like the way that my mom felt, but I was also like in her eyes um, responsible for how my older brother was treated. So for example, there was one time when my mom had been getting ready for work and she left the bathroom really dirty and she asked me to clean it up. And I don't know what I was doing. I think I was like 11 or 12. Um, and I just, you know, didn't do it right away. And she got so upset that she said, she said, okay, because you didn't do this, I'm going to hurt your brother. And she took my, my hairbrush, one of like my items and she beat him with it until the handle broke. And it was one of those like, like thick plastic, like really large hairbrushes. And that's like one of craziest moments I remember um just with physical you know abuse because I know that he was bleeding like the plastic was on him and like after she had done it like she immediately felt remorseful you know and she was apologizing to my brother but she didn't really apologize to me because she she played it off as I was still responsible for him getting hurt like that right right which is just insane (laughs) yeah insane yeah and and to think too of like the talking about responsibility of like keeping people happy i mean right i'm curious like did you ever talk to your brother about that experience or other experiences i i feel like we didn't explicitly talk about it um i know that like after stuff like that would happen I would apologize to him and he would just kind of be like, it's not, you know, it's not your fault kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the stuff that we talked about, like relating to my mom was like just about weird stuff that she would do and kind of like the more funny experiences. Like we never really had like heart to heart talk and I'm not in contact with him now because he is still so close with her. He still lives in Florida and he still sees her often. Um, I actually, I haven't spoken to her, I think in over a year now, she still like reaches out um, and like tries to be in contact with me and he does too, but because he's still so close with her and in my eyes, like hasn't gotten away from the abuse or really recognized it for abuse and like what it was just based on conversations. Um, I didn't really talk to him. So no, we didn't really talk about the stuff that, that she would do physically. I can imagine that that made it so much harder also to get out of that experience or that situation because of like what would happen to your brother if, yeah, and and Mm -hmm. presumably your mom would, blame it on you and right it's, yeah it's an interesting like environment to develop in because you sort of 
are always walking on eggshells and thinking Mm -hmm. to yourself like how how, (laughs) it makes you hyper aware of how your actions may affect everybody around you right and yeah so so what was it like after after that experience or or what were some of the you were saying there were funny experiences that your mom had as well yeah I don't have a ton of memories of the physical abuse and I think that's for one of two reasons either it didn't happen as often or I just have it completely blocked out which I think is totally possible um but she was definitely like not not really there like physically a lot of the time and mentally a lot of the time so she was very neglectful and she also had the tendency to drink um and i don't have a lot of like memories of like watching her drink but i know like one of the funny experiences that i can remember was like she had i think gone out with her sister and um i don't remember how old i was but it was like 11 12 13 probably and she'd gone out with her sister. I had been in bed. Like, I I didn't really know what she did. But she apparently had, like, come back and, like, put lipstick on and just, like, kissed the wall, like, in the kitchen, like, all over. And the next morning, she, like, confronted me about it. And she was like, look, like, I know you went into my things. I know you took my lipstick. I know you did this. I was just like, I, I didn't do this. And the funniest part about it is, like, so I'm I'm kind of tall for a girl. Um, I think that makes me quirky. Um, I'm not even that tall. I'm like five, eight, but my mom, my mom is five, two. So like all of the lipstick stains were all at like that level. And I just remember like, this is one of the only instances where like, I remember being able to be like, mom, you're wrong. And she was like, okay, yeah, I was being dumb. But I like walked up to the part of the wall and I was like, why would I like squat and do this? Yeah. Like I would have to squat all the way down. It was like, you're, you're so short. Like, it's very clear that you did this. And that's something I remember talking to my brother about. He was like, cause from my, my perspective, I just got, you know, I, I woke up in the morning and she was like waiting for me in the kitchen. We lived in like a small two bedroom apartment, I guess, just for reference at this point, but I just like walk out of my bedroom into the kitchen and she like confronts me about this. And I was just like, I didn't do this. Like you must have done this. I also thought maybe my older brother did it because he liked to play pranks and stuff. But later, like after I think she like went to take a nap or something, he was like, yeah, no, like I saw her last night. She came back. She was really drunk. She did that herself. Um, But it was just kind of funny. So I was like, that's, that's very clearly not, not something that I did because you're short and I'm not. (laughs) This just came to mind because you you know, you, you mentioned how you you're hesitant to call it physical abuse because of how much worse it was for your brother and Mm -hmm. how we always like have this tendency as survivors of abuse to downplay our experiences because we have so many people that have been through worse things and maybe it's also partly a coping mechanism it's like "Eh, it wasn't that bad you know people had it worse whatever the the rationale is probably some combination Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to think about like how your brother views the experiences and if he maybe even feels the same way where he's like, yeah, right. I, mean, I was experiencing physical abuse, but at least I wasn't being blamed for it. At least I yeah. was, you know, it wasn't like I'm, I, I might've been, it might've been taken out on me, but it wasn't, it, it was a different thing. And it, you know, these things yeah. all affect us differently. And we tend to assume that whatever happened to other people was worse than what happened to us. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but like I j- truly thought that having my parents, my parents divorce would be worse than getting molested. And I remember <laughs> like crazy. thinking to myself, because there were so many kids whose parents were getting get divorced at that time. Yeah. 
And I was just like, at least I have that. Even though my parents were at odds, you know, constantly like, right. like at least, at least I have, cause I wouldn't, I, I felt thought I wouldn't make it without that. And mm-hmm. to, I assume most people, it would be like, you know, if you could pick, not that you would want to, it'd probably be, right. or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what people yeah. would say. It's completely <laughs> different for every person, but I, I imagine that your brother also, I mean, it would be interesting to hear his, his side of the story and sort of why mm-hmm. he still feels the need to associate with your mom. But right. I, uh, I imagine that he's, you know, he's got his whole sort of own perception of this and his own mental web of justifications for why it's okay to still be around her. That it's also unique to your own perception of the experience that like right. people will come up with justifications and it, it doesn't mean that you're not right in your decisions to mm-hmm. like leave. Cause I imagine that was yeah. really hard for you to, to eventually leave yeah. about what's going to happen with your brother. But at the yeah. end of the day, it's like you, you have to do what's best for you. And when people are ready to sort of begin healing or begin actually looking at these experiences it's until that happens you can't really force people to do that yeah I know that that is really interesting to think about and I think like I I really haven't had that perspective before which is why I really wanted to talk to you um (laughs) because you know like I've only ever thought that he like stayed in that situation kind of because he had to not because he like I don't know, was justifying it for himself. I also know too, that like, when I moved away, my mom kind of turned him against me, which really sucked because out of everybody in my life, like he's really the only person that understands what we both went through. Mm -hmm. Um, So to have like her kind of manipulate him into doing that. And I think for him, like the difference between us two is um, we have different dads. I don't think I mentioned that. Um, I actually, I have six brothers and they're all my half brothers. Um, my mom has five kids and they're all with like different men. And then I have two brothers, my dad's side with my dad and my stepmom. But, and that's just like, you know, crazy amount of people to be related to. But I, I do know that like, he did not have a good relationship with his dad. And I think in his eyes, living with mom was a lot better than living with dad because his dad would would hurt him a lot more um i don't know very many stories from that especially because i was so young i think with my situation because i was flying i I flew back and forth like six times a year really there arizona and back and i did that three times a year and i got to see what another environment was like and after the first year, after the first two years, I started like spending more time with friends and at friends' houses. And it actually yeah. took a really long time for my mom to even let me do that. And back then, you know, she was like, oh, I just don't trust people. But now I wonder if maybe it was because if I started talking about the way that she treated us, that might raise some red flags. Totally would yeah. explain it. And, and also to think about, you know, your brother's relationship with your dad or his dad. That would also make a ton of sense in terms of right. why he stayed stuck around because it, <laughs> maybe a, maybe getting beaten by a by a plastic hairbrush wasn't that bad for him in comparison. It's right. all just based on what experiences yeah. you've had. So you know if you're if you're going yeah. from uh, a belt with a man to a uh, hairbrush with a woman, it's like it maybe yeah. maybe it's not not as uh, not as bad as it seems. But obviously, it doesn't right. make it okay. But it does explain the behavior a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think like, in my eyes, also, I think part of why, you know, I, I maybe downplay the physical abuse is because in my mind, the other stuff, like affected me so much 
more, I feel like. So she was definitely or is a like very self-centered person. Um, and like I mentioned before, like I was made to feel responsible for her emotions and her emotions oft- often were all over the place. So like if she, um, you know, when she was working, if she came home from work in a bad mood, like we needed to like get her a glass of water and like we needed to take her shoes off and we needed to do this and do that for her. And um that's, you know, that's just kind of like surface level, like doesn't look that bad. But if we didn't do these things for her, then typically one of two things would happen. She would either lash out and talk about how horrible, you know, how horrible I was as a daughter. She would call up other family members and tell them about things that I did and would make up shit about stuff that I supposedly did. Um, Yeah. And she'd have these conversations on the porch right outside of my room. So she was very aware that I could hear what she was saying. And she would just make up these crazy stories about things that I did and things that I would say and me throwing stuff. And I'm like 11. And at this point too, she had a boyfriend and it was crazy because this stuff would happen when he was around and he wouldn't really do anything about it either which I don't think I've spent a lot of time thinking about it didn't happen as much when she was with someone because I think she I don't know maybe she was happier or she just like knew that she shouldn't treat her kids that way um (laughs) but this created that created like such a fear in me that like if I didn't do what what she wanted or and also what has transferred into if I don't do what other people want me to do then they're going to like tear down me as a person and they're going to think I'm a horrible person and you talk a lot on your like different podcasts and stuff about how you're a people pleaser and like I totally resonate with that and I think that that's really where it comes from I also know too that she would have um like physic like other types of physical punishment so like I would not be allowed to have dinner or she would leave the entire weekend and I only remember that happening a few times but it was horrible because she was gone and because she was gone like me and my brother didn't have you know food and we I would just constantly think like what is she thinking what is she saying like and I would feel bad you know even though like I especially when I was really young like when this was happening when I was like 10 and 11 I was like, I, I don't want her to feel bad. I don't want her to be upset with me. Like I'm such a horrible, horrible daughter. I need to be better. And I need to just do like what she wants me to do for her. So like her leaving, um, sometimes she would leave, sometimes she wouldn't, but she would do like the silent treatment a lot as well, which was just like, I didn't even know it was worse. Like her, like, you know, saying stuff to me or her not saying stuff. Cause it's like, she's saying it. I at least like know what she's thinking <laughs> yeah. but when she wasn't, it's like, you know, your mind will just make up all these different things. And I do that now with like so many different relationships and people who like, I know love and care about me. And I'll just think like, if they don't, if they saw my text message, but they didn't respond right away, then they hate me because I didn't laugh at their TikTok or something. Right. This is is what the thing is. (laughs) That's what it is. Exactly. And it's, it's crazy. Like how short the time threshold is. Mm-hmm. for our brain before our brains start filling in the reasons why they haven't right. responded like maybe yeah. like 50 minutes or an hour and then boom it's like here's all the reasons why they could have misinterpreted that message that i sent mm-hmm. them and yeah. how it's going to ruin our friendship of you know 14 years or whatever it right is. <laughs> and, yeah. and also just to think that like 
it, it, the audacity to assume that it's that it's all about us and just like they couldn't yeah. possibly just be busy you know right. and me meanwhile i'm over here taking like four days to respond to people over text and i'm freaking out <laughs> when people don't respond to me in a, right away it's like i completely yeah. get that it's crazy yeah. it's crazy behavior but at least you know right. we're, we're aware yeah yeah definitely i'm very much a person that like wants to understand the why of everything right and i think one of the more frustrating things about like therapy is, and it doesn't have anything to do with my therapist. It just has to do with me. Like sometimes there aren't answers to things. And sometimes I won't ever know the answers to things, you know, like I won't ever really know why my mom thought it was a good idea to treat her kids like this. I can speculate. I know that she didn't have a good childhood. I know that her mom was very absent and her dad was physically abusive. And I think that she's an example of just repeating that cycle. Right. Yeah. But I can really only speculate. Like, of course, when I was younger, um, I thought the reason why she treated me like this and why she would make me do things for her, um, like lie for her, I thought it was because she hated me or, you know, because she could only love me if I did these things for her. And I thought that that was normal in any mother-daughter relationship. Right. And I know I like, I kind of mentioned that she would like make me lie for her. And that was, that stuff, I think still like very much weighs on me. Um, and, and the lying really had to do with like, some of it was like, you know, lying to other people about how she'd be, she'd be gone for a weekend. You know, if she's like, Oh yeah, I know you're going to go to school. Like, just don't mention that I was gone all weekend. Like, you know, and I, I just have to kind of like not say anything. And I didn't really see it as lying. Cause it was like, Oh, well, nobody's asking me, but it's like lying by omission, right. Or not telling people. But yeah, the, one of the biggest things was, um, when I was, I think I was like 10, my mom, um, like started dating her boyfriend and she got pregnant and she ended up having a baby and my mom made me keep it a secret from my dad. And that was really hard to like have an entire new human, like new little brother that I was like excited to have, but then have to completely like live a different life when I was with my dad, you know, because my dad would ask about how my older brother was doing and how my mom was doing and what's going, you know, like what, yeah. like what has been up with you guys. And I would just have to like, you know, pretend she didn't have a boyfriend and, and pretend that she didn't have like a whole other kid. And it really like ate me up because especially like, you know, my dad and my stepmom taught me that like lying is like really never good and that you shouldn't do that. But I felt like if I told my dad about, you know, this really great thing to have like a new human in my life, right? A new little brother. I was like, when I go back and see my mom, like, I don't know what she's going to do to me. I don't know what she's going to do to my older brother. Um, like, you know, what if she punishes me in some way? What if she locks me away? Like, you know, like I, I never really, I didn't really know. Um, and the story on how I eventually told my dad and my stepmom is, I think kind of funny. Um, I was visiting them for a summer, I think it was. And I, I had, a, I, I did a really good job at compartmentalizing. I um, mean, just like not thinking about, you know, stuff at my mom's, um, especially when I was there for, for the summertime, because I was there for like a longer period of time, but we were walking around Coles, me and my stepmom were, and we walked past the baby clothes and I just start bawling. And my <laughs> yeah. stepmom is just like, oh my god like what is going on so she takes me into like the dressing room and I'm just like my mom has a kid 
And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, what do you mean she has a kid? Like she adopted, like that was kind of like her first thought. And I was like, no, like, like she has a boyfriend and he lives with us. And like, like I have a whole other brother and like my stepmom handled it really well. Like I remember her being like, oh, wow, that's so great that you have another brother, but like, why didn't you tell us? And I was like, well, my mom just like, didn't want me to tell you. And that was like that period of time where I had to keep that secret. Um, Not only did I have to keep the secret that she had another kid, but also that we had moved um, because we moved out of Tampa into like a smaller town. And my mom didn't want my dad to think that like she was making like irrational decisions and like up and moving all over the place, which is what she was doing. Um, So she just like made me just pretend that I was going to this. This was when I was going into middle school. And in Florida, you start middle school in sixth grade. And I like from my my dad's perspective I went to you know this middle school in this town like you had my address you knew where I was and of course like it's hard enough to let your kid move across the country with like your ex-wife but also to like later learn that for an entire year she was actually in a different situation was Mm -hmm. just like really crazy for him right um and it was hard for me and I know I mentioned kind of in the little submission that I sent to you that um that period of my life when I was in sixth grade was so hard for me because when I first, you know, moved to Tampa, I made all these friends at this new school and then my mom moved to a different town. So I was having to start middle school, which is already hard, you know, and being a tween and everything. And I was having to keep all these secrets from my dad and um, the apartment that we were living in, I didn't have like for a while, we didn't have any like furniture. We had like a couch in the living room, but I just had like a mattress in my room and a box with a TV on it. And in my mind, this was better because my older brother didn't have a room. My older brother slept on the couch. So I was like, oh, this is sweet. I got my own room, right? It's all relative. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was just like a tiny, you know, twin mattress. And I, you know, we had nothing on the walls. There was nothing in there. And I didn't really understand it until more recently, but like, that was when I started to have like my first ever, like, like suicidal ideations at like the age of 11, Mm. because I was like, I, I was, I was kind of like, I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to keep my mom happy and let her live the life that she wants to and be with her while also like knowingly hurting my dad. And I knew that like, ever since she made me tell him that I hated him and made me move away that like, that would drastically change my relationship with my father. So like, I didn't, it was never to the point where I was like, I, I don't even think I understood how to kill myself, you know, like that's how young I was, but I was just like, I, I don't really, I don't really want to exist anymore. And the only thing that really got me out of that was, well, one, like eventually telling my dad and then two in seventh grade, that next year, after I got back from Arizona, I decided to like fill my life with distractions. And that's kind of why I, like, I, I really threw myself into school because I found that it was a good use of my time. If I had homework to do, my mom would leave me alone. Um, And I also like loved learning about the world. Um, I think there's like, I think the the experience that I had with my mom in some weird way kind of led me into engineering because I like am really obsessed with like understanding why and like understanding the world. And I could not understand like why 
my mom was treating me the way she did. I didn't totally understand why my parents had to live in two different states and why I had to travel back so often mm-hmm. and why we moved around so much. So it's like my little my little world I didn't understand. So I want to focus on the other parts of the world and understand how that works. So I got really into reading and I got really into um, like math and science. There's this scientist, Nikola Tesla, that I like was super into in seventh grade. And it's like nobody, nobody's into that stuff in seventh grade. (laughs) Um, And, you know, thankfully it's worked out. Like I followed that passion all throughout, you know, like high school and and now into my college career and, and just career in general. But yeah, that was like a really dark time in my life. And it's just crazy to like, to think about how young I was. Cause my, one of my brothers now is 11 and I look at him and I'm like, how, how was I thinking of that? And like, I should not have been put in that situation, you know? Well, it's a pretty reasonable solution when we're in these impossible scenarios. It's like, well, I don't, and yeah, like, like you said, it's, you know, I felt similarly where it's like, it's not like I was like, I should kill myself, but I know that if I wasn't here, none of this would be happening, at least in the way right. that I it was going on for me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have to tell anybody about this. I wouldn't have to go through it anymore. So it's yeah. we're, we're we're doing the best we can in the, in the circumstances. Fortunately, we didn't act on it, but it, it makes a lot of sense. But it is crazy to look back on these experiences and be like, that is so unfathomably young. It's right. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But here we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. what was that like after, so you were in school, that was middle school, and then mm-hmm. when did you uh, officially move out of your mom's and in with your dad and stepmom? Yeah, so that was when, um, that was like the summer before I turned 15. So I like went to middle school with my mom, and then I spent like freshman year of high school with my mom. And at that point, like once I had school, then I had a lot more friends and then I was able to like cope with the situation a little more. Um, there were like some instances where I actually, I think for the last year that I was there, I spent almost every weekend with my best friend and her whole family because they were just so loving and accepting. And I think they under, they, they understood that like my situation with my mom was odd and not okay she would be gone for a weekend and she'd come back and I'd be like mom like I haven't like I've just eaten like crackers and peanut butter that's been in the pantry like I I need some sort of food and she'd be like how do you expect me to do that for you like why would you like like yeah. why is you know just kind of that thing um so I I like eventually what made me I think really really move is I had my friend and I had a boyfriend for like a a year or so, which was a long time, but it was middle school. So it really wasn't a boyfriend, you know, it's just like someone I like kiss sometimes. (laughs) Right. But maybe he sees it as more than that, but that's how I see it. It feels Um, like it in the moment for sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. It's a big deal in the moment. But um, once we had like broken up, me and my boyfriend had broken up. My mom was like, Oh, like now that you guys have broken up, like we can move away now. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, we're going to move like an hour away. And, um, this was a month, I had a month left of, uh, freshman year of high school and she was like, yeah, we're just going to move away. And I was like, what about, I was like, what are we moving? And she's like, oh, in like, you know, about a month or like, no, sorry. So that was like March and then or April, I had two months left of school. And then she moved away a month before school ended. And I was like, what am I going to do for the last month of school? And she's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You just, you don't need to go. 
and school is obviously very important to me. Um, she had like pressured my older brother to drop out of school um, because when she had the baby and she had an, she had like issues with her relationship with her boyfriend, there wasn't really anybody to take care of the baby or something weird like that. So like she pressured my older brother to take care of the baby. But regardless, like my mom didn't really understand the importance of school and I did if I wanted to do something in science um, or even in the other fields that I was interested in, I'd need to go to school. Um, but she was just going to like have me not go to the last month of school. And I was like, that's not possible. So my best friend's family was like, she can live with us for the last month of school. And that was like the best time I ever had when I was in Florida, because I was living with my best friend and her parents who took great care of me. And she had siblings that were awesome. And we'd go to the beach every weekend. And like, it was so fun. And I realized um, when I flew back to visit my dad, when I was like, like, I was so sad saying bye to my friends, because I think in that moment, I was like, I know I'm not going to come back. Because like, even if I did come back and move in back with my mom, she'd be an hour away from my friends and I would be isolated. And this would be like what it was when I was in sixth grade and I wanted to kill myself. And when I went and moved in with my dad or when I went to visit my dad, first morning I woke up, I had this like, I first had this dread because before I flew out, I had spent one night with my mom in her new apartment and we had to share a bed. And, um, there were instances where my mom and I had to like sleep in the same bed. It happened like sometime throughout middle school for about a month. And every single night I had to share a bed with her. I would get up in the middle of night and vomit because of how anxious I was. I have mm -hmm. the 10, like, that's kind of how my anxiety definitely manifests. When I went to visit my dad that first morning, I woke up, I felt dread. I felt like I had to throw up. And then I like, looked at where I was and I was so happy. And I was like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel the way that I felt, you know, like yeah. I shouldn't. And it was, it was really hard because I didn't know how my mom was going to react, but I was like, well, if I'm going to tell her that I'm leaving, this is the time to do it when I'm across the country, because I know she can't afford to buy a plane ticket and come here and confront me in person. Right. Um, yeah. So I like, you know, I told my dad and my stepmom and they were thrilled because for years they had, they had wanted me to come back, but they made, they like wanted to make it my decision because they knew that I had like friends and everything there. And that's something I still feel a little conflicted about because like on the one hand, I like that I was given the choice, but on the other hand, I don't think I was like, I, I don't think I should have been given that responsibility. Yeah. I know that like they weren't aware of all of the abuse that I was going through and all of, all of that stuff, but they heard some of like the crazy stories. Like um, one time my mom used my cell phone that my dad had bought for me. My mom didn't have a cell phone. She would use my cell phone. She said for like work purposes. Um, but one time I was going through my phone and I don't know if I found it like, in the photos app or in the text messages, but I found a photo of my mom topless. I was like 14 <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck, what the fuck is this? Right? Wait, so your mom was taking your phone to send nudes or just, yeah. to, just to take? Yeah, well, I, I'd never phrased it like that, but yeah, that's exactly what she was doing. She was taking her like 14 year old daughter's cell phone to send nudes and I, oh. I yeah, and I confronted her about it. I was like, mom, why? And this is one of the only times I remember being like, what the fuck? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I was like, mom, what the fuck? And, and she was like, oh, I was just playing a prank on, on your aunt. I just like sent her, yeah, you know, the photo. Weirder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. That's very true. Oh wow, my gosh. Wild. <laughs> yeah. And so like, your, obviously. So your dad and stepmom found out about that. Right. Because I told them, well, right. I told my stepmom, like I, I definitely like, I'd say that back then I was like close with my dad and my stepmom. I wasn't as close with them as I really wanted to be, but I like mainly saw my stepmom all the time because she was a stay at home mom. And I, I told her that story and I told her other stories and stuff. And I know that like, once I had officially moved, I think about a year in, they had mentioned that like, when I was around 11, they considered putting me in therapy because they just saw that I was like, the way they described me was like a shell of a human mm. every time I went to go see them. And like, when I look, when I think, like, think back on that, like, there's part of me that's like, I wish that they would have asked me more questions, you know, and I wish that they would have like taken me out of that situation instead of making it my decision. Because when I did decide to do that, my mom was like, abs just absolutely horrible. Like she was calling me every day, multiple times a day, like my cell phone, leaving me horrible voice messages just about how, like how horrible I was and how she was going to hurt like my older brother and hurt my younger brother. And, you know, in the next message, she would be like, I'm like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And in and, and one of those messages is when she was like, you know, I'm financially dependent upon your dad to take care of like your other brother. So by you moving away, he's not going to, you know, so. You should have just sent I, her a photo of the nude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Start an OnlyFans, mom. You'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> right oh man if only they had only only fans in like 2012 um but that, my, that my life wild, my life would have been easier if, if they did. <laughs> yeah. that's tough because it's like she's exhausting all of the options that she has in, in terms right. of manipulative uh, tactics and the mm -hmm. last sort of line of defense and of, of, of potentially keeping you there is being like right. i am going to suffer your brother will suffer. People other than you are going to suffer. And yeah. that's what you've been trying to do your whole life is prevent that and try to keep right. everyone happy. And like, it all stemmed from the first experience you had when you visited your, your mom. And yeah. It was like, well, I don't want, I just, we just want, we just want everything to be okay. And like, we, right. we don't have like a wide range of knowledge to be able to decipher like, okay, this isn't reasonable. Even if we know and feel that it's wrong, we don't have, yeah. The tools at that age to be able to decipher you know oh well maybe yeah. i should go live with my dad it's like okay well this woman's yelling at me and that's kind of enough to get me to do whatever in this moment yeah yeah well and i remember in in one of your your podcast episodes you or someone had said something like you know or actually i think it might be uh, one of your stand-up jokes about like kid logic and yeah. how kid logic is just so funny because like i think about like i i i can think about i think back to my thought process back then. And I'd be like, okay, well, like my mom doesn't feed me, you know, physically hurts me. She physically hurts my brother. Like one time she chopped off all my hair because I got like lice for the third time too many. And she would just blame me. And I was like, it's not my fault. And she slapped me and cut off all my hair. And mm. um, so like I had, I had experiences like that. And then I'm like, oh, but like my boyfriend is so cute. Like, I don't want to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, oh, like my friend is so fun. Or like, I'd be like, oh, yeah. but I'm, I'm excited about like 
you know, taking PE next semester. So I'll just deal with it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. why, did you, why did you deal with that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And it, in that instance, that's why it's like, man, like, I wish that, you know, my, I wish that a lot of people had stepped in, you know, like, I think I wish my dad had stepped in my stepmom, maybe my best friend's parents. Um, and I think that that really like created almost like a hero complex within myself because, and this is something I kind of found out like recently or discovered recently in therapy. Like I often, you know, feel so responsible for other people. And if someone else is going through something very traumatic, um, like a friend of mine was sexually assaulted by like another close friend of ours, um, in my undergrad, I have harbored a lot of guilt from that situation, even though I did as much as I could for her to be there for her. Um, because I felt like it was my responsibility to fix it. And like, I felt like I should have been there for her because this is someone that I love and care about. Well, you um, felt like it was your responsibility. I mean, that's, it makes total sense that you felt that way based on how your mom explained the physical abuse towards your brother. Right. Yeah. And I think like, I, you know, maybe subconsciously I was like, oh, nobody stepped in and saved me. I want to step in and save other people. Right. Sure. Which is like, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And it comes from a very compassionate place, but it's not super awesome for me because there's a lot of that stuff that like, I'm not responsible for and that I shouldn't make myself feel responsible for. Right. But I put that responsibility on me. Like when it comes to, you know, my, my friendships with people. It's funny to hear these stories. Cause it's, you know, in every one of these stories, we find similarities, but I feel like so much of our sort of a, a big part of our healing journeys, all, while they're different for everyone, a big part of it is unlearning our conditioning. And it's not just if you were abused, but perhaps in particular, unlearning the tactics that we were taught and not just taught, but what we taught ourselves, how we adapted mm -hmm. in order to survive the situations. And for you, it seems like a big part of that. And, and for me as well, it's like letting go of the responsibility to make the world out around us be okay to, yeah. because we, we, we feel like, okay, well, if everyone else is happy, then I can stop worrying. But it, it, it in, until we prioritize ourselves and we start right. focusing on our own well-being, it's really hard to provide what we think these people need from us because yeah. we're, we're pouring out a half full cup or maybe not even half full rather mm -hmm. than having your own cup completely full and you're overflowing with compassion and love for, for right. yourself. And then you have enough to give away to other people. But sometimes when we come from these sort of dire environments where it's like much more about survival than anything else it's like i don't mm -hmm. even have time to prioritize myself because there's too many people that i need to manage and, and right. too many people's emotions that i need to manage but for me the older i get the more i realize like i'm gonna be the best i'm gonna be most helpful to everyone else when i've helped myself and um mm -hmm. do you still feel this way still feel what way in terms of like the guilt that you feel associated, whether, you know, it's your friends saying that you, you were saying your friends in a bad relationship with somebody or like, is it mm -hmm. as how has therapy helped you get into this more or? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely helped. And I think that just that is like a more recent discovery. So I, I definitely still feel that way. The like rational part of me. Um, like the rational Maddie, actually, that's something I'll have to get into with borderline. I, I like, kind of compartmentalize myself into different people, but there's that rational part of me. That's like, this isn't your fault. And, and when I'm not in that emotional situation, 
I can, you know, take a step back and assess and be like, this isn't your responsibility. This isn't your fault. You could be there for your friend um, when she's going through like a traumatic experience, or you can be there for your boyfriend when he's having to deal with, you know, other issues, but like, you can't hold yourself responsible to it. So like, I can, I can, you know, sit there and say this now, but like, I don't feel that way, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'll still feel that guilt. And like, especially with some of the more traumatic things that happen to other people that like did not happen to me that happened to other people. I have like, I have a lot of nightmares and that's really as, as a result of my PTSD, like with living with my mom, but I have nightmares about experiences that other people have had and it's mm. crazy and it's really crazy. And I don't know if it's like, I just have a really active imagination, but I think a lot of that has to do with like me, one feeling like very compassionate towards them, but also me feeling so responsible because when I do have, like, I've had a lot of dreams, um, where I'm being raped in the same way that my friend was by that other mutual friend of ours. And it's horrible because I just wake up and I feel so like angry and anxious and I want to do something and I will still continue to have them. Like if I, if I have a, like a project that's due soon, like it's school, something completely unrelated. If I have a project that's due, I'll just, I'll be so scared to go to bed because I know I'm just going to have some sort of stress dream. And usually it's not related to school. Usually it's related to either an experience that I've had or an experience that somebody else has had. And if it's an experience that I've had, it's almost easier to be like, okay, like I'm out of that situation. Like, you know, my mom can't hurt me anymore. And like, you know, my, my stepmom can't like hurt me anymore. Right. Like, but with someone else, it's like, especially if I don't know them, it's like, Oh, I, I wonder how she's feeling. And, and is she better? And it's like, (laughs) it's, it's like, it's stuff that like really keeps me up at night sometimes, you know, and I have to like really just remind myself, right. That rational part of me has to like remind myself that I'm not responsible for, for some, for an action that our other friend did to her. Right. Yeah. You're, you're not responsible and also no amount of, dreaming about the experiences that your friends have had will heal them or prevent it from happening in the future. And I think it's, it's probably like a subconscious thing where, you know, because you were brought up in this blame environment, it feels Mm -hmm. like you just feel so much like a heightened sense of responsibility to the point where you're like, this is my fault that this happened. Um, when it, you know, obviously couldn't be further from what the truth but yeah. because of how you were brought up, it's like, but but this is what could I have done? How and, and because right. I didn't do something, I need to suffer now. It's like we, yeah, this suffering like cycle is so bizarre in the way that we're brought up, and it, it shows also in like w- like professional environments. It's like you need to grind, you need to, and mm-hmm. not that grinding is bad, but like right. sort of the like incessant. Um, need we feel like we need to suffer in order to be worthy of things in order to be deserving of success or happiness and it's just like how we're brought up but it doesn't we doesn't have to stay that way and no matter how long you felt a certain way and no matter how many times your mom told you that this was your fault you don't have to stay in that thought train and and Mm -hmm. i think part of it is definitely therapy i think also it's just like when your subconscious like comes out like that, if it's manifesting in your in your dreams as these really horrible things, it, mm-hmm. I, I, in my experience, it's been suppressed emotion that I don't want to look at and yeah. don't want to feel. And 
the older I get, the more I realize those feelings are our solution. They're mm-hmm. the keys to feeling free and happy and free from yeah. them. But we're again conditioned to suppress these things and yeah in in many cases it's like you can't show weakness you're in survival mode the last thing you want to do right. is break down and look vulnerable so yeah i mean it's definitely just something to think about but I, I, one thing we know for sure is that these dreams do not d- accomplish what your subconscious might think they're accomplishing yeah yeah and i've talked to my therapist a lot about the dreams that, that i have um because, which by the way uh, sorry not not to say like yeah. hey stop dreaming you know what i mean like it's not that at all oh, i know it's, no it's i really, totally understand yeah <laughs> it's for me too because you know i i still have dreams about freaking out about people like letting people down and it's like mm-hmm. not even it's not to the extreme of like getting abused or anything i don't have dreams like that but just in terms of like like canceling plans it sounds so stupid after <laughs> <laughs> raped in your dreams and I'm like, my friends are mad at me <laughs> but, but it's, just, it's just what it is you know and that's that's how I feel and I'll, and I'll wake up and feel like stressed about it and then yeah it's like you know these these people are they're not stoked that we're punishing ourselves for these things that that mm-hmm. we apparently failed to do but in reality had nothing to do with so but anyway sorry you, yeah. you were saying you're, you talked about with your therapist yeah, I talk about my my dreams. I try to talk about my dreams a lot with my therapist because like not only do I have I had nightmares really all through my life, um, but I also have the tendency to like sleep talk and sleepwalk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, you know, I just brought it up to her. I was like, why do I do that? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so we, we had to kind of dive into it. And what we, we learned is really with a lot of people, like if you're dreaming about something then um, sometimes it's, you know, random unicorns or some shit, right? But but sometimes it's like you haven't, you haven't faced something that you're running away from. Mm. And um, in the instance of like the, the dreams that I have most often are about my, you know, my friend's rape, the abuse that I had with my mom, the intense like um, situations I had with like my dad and my stepmom once I started living with them in high school. And then um, I had a, like a, a friend within the first like few months of school, like college attempt suicide. And he told me about it and like made me feel like um, he told me and only me about it. And he was like, don't tell anyone. And I was like, what, you know, it was kind of like unloaded on me. And I told um, the university about it. And I told the police about it about like two weeks after he told me. And then he made me feel like a horrible person for, like saying something because it made his life more challenging. And that's something that like, I felt a lot of guilt for, you know, I was like, oh, like I, you know, I didn't keep this secret for him, but now I've, I've really healed from it. And like, kind of like, I, I totally understand, you know, because I've had like suicidal thoughts really all throughout my life that I didn't start talking about with my therapist until recently, but with, with the situation with him, I understand that he wasn't in the right state of mind. So although he did blame me and it affected like my other friendships with other people, um, I like, you know, I understand that, um, he just didn't want to face something. Right. And those four things are things that I often would have dreams about. Mm -hmm. And I noticed once I kind of came to the conclusion, once I, once I really forgave my friend for putting that like responsibility on me, I stopped dreaming about it. So then I'm like, Oh, well (laughs) maybe I need to deal with these other things. And I've always known that, um, like the, the, 
like I've always known that like my friend getting raped has affected me emotionally. And I knew that like my, you know, abuse with my mom affected me emotionally, but what I really didn't see and understand was how like the different environment with my dad and my step mom impacted me. Um, and I think that's what, what makes like this whole situation so much harder. Like I, I wish that it was just my mom that had hurt me, but my dad and my stepmom have hurt me in some ways as well. Um, it's very different. And it was one of those things where when I was in high school, I, I thought, well, this is better than, you know, like not getting fed or, or like having someone else get hit. So yeah, it's fine. Or not getting beat by your dad, getting beat by your mom instead. Right. Similar yeah. logic to your brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when I, when I live with them and like, I, you know, my relationship with my dad and my stepmom was very different than the one with my mom. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to have any, I don't want anything to do with my mom and that side of the family. But with my dad and my stepmom, like, I still love and care for them. And I think that, I know that when I first, like, moved away from Florida and started going to high school in Arizona, um, I know that, like, one of the things that my stepmom had said to me was that, you know, she's like, I know that this living environment is different for you. I know your mom didn't pay a whole lot of attention to you. And we are, you know, what other people would probably call helicopter parents, but it's really just because we want to like, make sure that you're okay and pay a lot of attention to you. Um, and then on, you know, when I heard that it's like, okay, great. Like I want someone to think about me. Right. Yeah. Um, but some instances like things were really brought to the extreme one of the things I can remember and it was actually before I was in high school and I didn't remember this until I started listening to your podcast because obviously you talk a lot about um like child, child molestation and I didn't have anything like that happen to me but my my stepmom is like you know I love her but she is one of those people where like her opinion is the correct answer mm -hmm. and she wants everybody else to really conform to that so when I was like young, I tended to like space out a lot in the shower and I'd take like 30 minute showers. I was like nine or 10. And, you know, someone would be like, what do you do in the shower? And I was like, I, don't know, I just stand there. The water hits me. I put soap on me. Right. And she's like, well, you need to, you know, take a shower this certain way. And she taught me this, like the most efficient way to shower. And I had to shower that way, you know, and she'd be like, oh, did you shower the way I told you? And I'd be like, yeah. And she's like, well, why did you take 20 minutes instead of the 10 minutes that I said? And I'd be like, I don't know. So like one time she wanted to actually see how I showered. So she set up a camera in the bathroom and it was like, not like in the shower, but it was on the counter. And you could really only see me naked when I stepped completely out of the shower. Um, but she had the camera there and I didn't know, like, I just, you know, went shower, did my thing, whatever came out and I saw the camera sitting on the counter, but I didn't think anything of it. And then like, I went downstairs and she asked me the same questions like, Oh, did you, you know, did you shower the way I told you to, did you do this? Did you do that? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, let's go look. And she like went and showed me that she had like recorded me Whoa. in the shower. Right. Which is like illegal for one thing. Super. Right. Yeah. Super illegal. <laughs> um, but it made me start to think about like one feeling I often had when I lived with them is I, I always felt like I was being watched. Like there were some rules that I like that my, my friends didn't have at their house. Like I wasn't allowed to like have my phone upstairs unless it was like for a school thing. And um, I could only eat during like certain times of the day because they didn't want like my, my meals to be spoiled or whatever. Um, there were like good foods and bad foods. And um, I had to shower a certain way and I wasn't allowed to lock the doors. And I, I always felt like the reason why they were doing that is because they thought that I was a bad kid and that I was going to do something wrong. 
So I needed to like conform to that. And I, I wasn't even totally sure on like why exactly I felt like I was always being watched. But when I listened to your podcast and I was like, Oh, well, I remember that happening. And I talked to my therapist about it. She's like, well, that's insane. Like maybe, you know, maybe that kind of contributed to why you felt like you were being watched because when you were young, that did actually happen to you. And that's like such an inappropriate response, right? I don't think, I hope that they didn't watch me shower all throughout high school. Um, yeah. But I guess I don't, you know, I don't know. I do know though, like every time I would go shower, I'd like scan the room. And I really did that any I do that anywhere I go now yeah yeah you know like I do that anywhere I go and like I do that in public I do that like I I was (laughs) went over earlier today to water my friend's plants because she's out of town and I was like she watching me and I was like she wouldn't do that like why would she (laughs) you know (laughs) like why would she be doing that Um, I mean that that is a total trip to find that out I can imagine that was really really confusing for you yeah yeah totally yeah, but so nothing sexual happened other than that. Not that that was. I mean, it's hard to say that that was not sexual because you were naked and it was on camera. But like, right? Was there any other experiences like that? Um, not not sexually. No, I just know that the other experiences that I had created this like really large sense of paranoia in me. You know, mm-hmm. like I always felt like I was like being watched. Or, um, I also know too that like the the punishments, as my therapist put it, put it, like the punishments never matched up with the crime. So like I was listening to a podcast earlier that you did with someone. Um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, unfortunately, but he talked about how he was like sexually abused by his grandfather. Like, there was one. It's, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Um, nice. I love listening to that because he talked about how he, he acted out so much in, in high school. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I really did the opposite. Like I was trying to be this perfect person because it was like, if I step out of line once, then there's going to be this drastic consequence. And I don't know how it's going to affect my life. I really kept a lot of like the, you know, the suicidal ideations to myself and like the identity crisis to myself. And I felt like so confused with, with who I was. And, and I do remember like doing research and finding PTSD. And I was like, Oh, this sounds about right. Cause like mm-hmm. one of the things that really stood out to me, and I remember you talked about it, I think in that, in that episode I listened to today, like there's songs that, you know, will remind you of traumatic events and for me smells is like a really, really big thing. So like, sure. I, you know, I can't like, and, and tastes and stuff like I can't eat artichoke. I like hate Christmas music and like, <laughs> I, I can't ever be in a room that doesn't have any decor on it. And it just gives me so much anxiety. And I think that has to do with when I like first moved into that apartment with my mom and we just had like the mattress and the TV and, you <laughs> know, it was like, absolutely what it's from. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, so I have PTSD, but like, why? And then I was like, okay, well maybe like the stuff with my mom, like was really bad, you know, like maybe it was a lot worse than I thought, but I, I didn't ever really look at the situation I was in. So like, when I went off to college and I was away from all that and I had all this freedom, like that's, you know, when the nightmares would kind of start to happen. And, um, I was like, I didn't really understand. I was just like, Oh, like, you know, it sucks. It sucks. And I think it was like, I called my best friend about it and I was like, yeah, I'm just upset. And I don't remember what I was upset about. It was some argument that i had had with my parents because when I went off to college, I didn't talk to them as much as 
they wanted me to. And it's because mm-hmm. I just, I felt like I didn't know who I was. I, I knew who I was for my mom and I knew who I was for like my dad and for my stepmom and for my friends, but I didn't know who I was. And I was like, this is college. I'm going to learn who I am. And that just like me not talking to them created a lot of questions. And I think instead of them being like, Hey, are you doing okay? They were like, you're hurting us. Like you're not talking Mm. to us. Like that Mm -hmm. is so horrible of you to do that. And it became all the more complicated with my younger brothers who like one of them is 12 years younger than me. The other one is nine years younger than me. So like they, they both really look up to me and they missed me when I went off to college and they're like, Oh, like you're, you know, if I felt like I was tearing the family apart again, Again, but I also was like, well, what is, what is the best thing for me? So for years, I was like, just kind of putting up with, you know, I put up with it in high school and all throughout, you know, my undergrad of just like, all right, like if they want me to respond to a text and they want me to do this, they want me to do that, I'll do that. And like, my stepmom isn't really a fan of makeup. So when I'd go home, I wouldn't wear makeup. And mm-hmm. like, she's very conservative. So I'd make sure that I wasn't wearing a crop top. And like, I would really, I started to like create this other version of myself when I was around my parents. And I knew I had a version of myself with my mom. I had a version of myself with my parents. And then now I would just like be in college. And I'm like, if, if they, if my parents just like came to the, my college town and saw me on the street, they probably wouldn't recognize me, you know? And that made me feel like I was hiding so much of myself and made me feel like I was lying. It made me feel so horrible for like even existing. So that's sort of where the first signs of BPD were showing up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I actually, sorry, just seems like a total defense mechanism. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I really didn't start to understand BPD until I was like diagnosed with it. And even now, like, I'm still trying to understand it. Like I, I wrote down like the list of the nine symptoms because they're kind of hard to keep track of. But when I brought it up to my therapist, I, I, I was the one that went to my therapist and I was like, yeah, I think I have this. And at first I was like, I think I'm autistic. And she's like, maybe not. I was like, I think I have PTSD. And she's like, okay, yeah. And then I was like, am I bipolar? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. And then I was like, this, I think I have borderline personality disorder. And she'd be like, Maddie, I told you it's not good to try to self-diagnose. I'm like, oh, I can't help it. Like, I just want to, I just want to know who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And I now understand that like your, you know, like mental illnesses or disorders, like do not define who you are. But back then a year ago, right. I, that's where I was. Right. And, um, she was like, okay, well, like, and I kept pushing it. Like, I remember I brought it up and she was like, well, you know, let's see, I don't know. And then I brought it up again and again. And I was like, I really just like want to try to understand. So she's like, okay, like we'll go through the list of nine. If you have like, you need five of them to be officially diagnosed. And I meet eight of the nine, hmm. um, which is like obviously more than, than that five. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, I, I definitely have it. And like, I remember when I found that out, I was like, I had this like huge sense of relief because I was like, oh, I can now go and explain to my parents like why I am the way I am. Mm. And when I brought it up to them, like when I first brought it up to them, it was not that my therapist said that I had it. She just said that I had the symptoms of it, right? And that I had eight of the nine symptoms. And when I brought it up to them, 
they were like, oh, well, like, but you don't, you don't have that. Like, like, that's not, that's not true. And it was, I don't know if they said that to make themselves feel better or if they don't, they really didn't believe it. Um, it's probably to make themselves feel better. Um, but they were like, yeah, no, that's not true. And I was like, well, like, I also have an eating disorder. And my son was like, no, don't, you don't, you don't, you don't even know what that is. And it's like, I'm sorry, how can I understand fluid mechanics, but I don't understand <laughs> an eating disorder? You know, like I, I think well, I know myself. Yeah. Right? But the thing is, is that if you have those things, then in your stepmom in particular's head, she probably feels that that is her helicopter parenting was a failure. Mm-hmm. The way that she's been yeah. operating is, is not up to whatever standards she thought or, or she is that's an attack on her ego and her own identity right? as this mm-hmm. super intense parent that w- nothing would ever happen to my kid no they, they can't have a mental disorder or whatever you know it all sort of ties back to uh, themselves and yeah you also said something there that was really interesting about um, how you felt relief when you figured out this diagnosis or at least that you were likely to have it because mm-hmm. you were able to explain why you are the way that you are Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is so real for all of these traumatic experiences right. where even though it is often really difficult to think about and to dive into and figure out like, why do I operate this way? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't go there and that there isn't this mm-hmm. immense amount of relief that can be found just by being able to identify behaviors that you do and to figure right. out it's, it's hard to change things that you're not aware of. So, uh, and and it's hard to heal things that you're, Mm -hmm. you're not aware of need healing. Um, so I, I really agree with what you said there and, um, just for sure. One of the reasons that I really wanted to do this was to talk about borderline. And I think I'm like starting to like get into that. So I like, I, I want to dive into like what borderline means like for me because there is a lot of uh, misrepresentation in the media. And I think when people hear borderline personality disorder, they, they think of dissociative identity disorder, which is commonly known as like multiple personality disorder. These are two different things. Um, bipolar disorder is often associated with borderline personality disorder, and they are two different things. Um, so I think that's that's something I, I want to go into, especially because if somebody resonates with any of these symptoms, I think it's really important for them to get help, especially because it's not something that can be, at least right now, medicated. You need like a very specific type of treatment. I was just having this conversation with my stepmom about, about borderline. She was like, I was trying to explain it to her and help her understand because she was she thought I was talking about dissociative identity disorder or multiple personalities. And she's like, well, like that doesn't seem like you. And I was like, no, you're right. Like, that's not me, but like, this is me. And she's like, Maddie, I just, I feel like you're, you're trying to give yourself a mental illness. And like, in that moment, I was just like, I just like lost it. You know, I was so upset because I was like, how, how could you say that to me? And she's like, well, like, you know, like you're not broken, which she's right. Like I'm not broken, but like, yeah. Who said like, anything about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what, like, are you telling me that, you know, yeah. but I was but like, that's in her mind. That's again, what, what I mean about the, her right? perception of what this is and how mm-hmm. you can't possibly have that because that means I've failed right. as a parent. Right. Yeah. And like, it, it just made me feel so like, so hurt because I was like, this is, this is a part of me. Like this, this describes 
me. This helps me understand me more. And I'm telling you that this is what it is. And, and you tell me, you know, they felt like the PTSD rang true, um, but they didn't believe the eating disorder. And at least my stepmom didn't. And then like they, you know, she didn't believe the borderline personality disorder. And I'm like, this is who I am. I feel like this is just such a huge rejection. You know, about a month later, I just, I, I didn't totally know how to communicate that I was hurt to them. So I just like sent them a, a long text message. And I was like, these are the things that you've said that have hurt me. If you want to have a relationship, you need to at least try to understand me, right? Like I, I totally get it. If you don't understand, I'm, I'm trying to understand, but I need you to put in the effort. And my stepmom didn't respond. And my dad, his response was essentially because I was like, I don't feel like you're supporting my mental health journey, whatever. And he's like, Oh, like, of course I support you. Remember, like we told you to do therapy. And I was like, okay, well, you told me like a year before I started doing it. Like, why are you trying to take credit for that? And then the second thing was like, maybe it's just better if like you and your stepmom just try to have like a friend relationship. And I was like, hmm. you know, maybe that's, maybe that's the solution, but that's really not what I was even asking for. And like in that message, I explained to them like all of the abuse that I, that I endured with my mom. And I think this conversation would have been better to have in person, but I was like, if I have this in person, they're going to gaslight me. Like, I'm not going to feel comfortable. I just need to say what I need to say. Right. And my dad's response was to friend zone me. It's like what it <laughs> felt like, you know, cause it's like my stepmom has been in my life since I was five. Yeah. Um, and she's operated as my mother because my mom was never there. And when she signed up to be a step parent, that's really what she was. I know other people have different relationships with their step parents, but she really was a mom to me and she is not being that now. And you can't just like take that away or I guess maybe you can, but that's not what I was looking for. Yeah. So I was like, I just told, I was like, this is not what I needed. So that was in August and I haven't spoken to them since then. And the, the main reason is I think like, you know, I don't, I don't feel validated by them I don't feel supported by them and I think a lot of the issues is they you know what you said was what I think really rings true is like maybe they feel some sort of like responsibility and they think that their parenting style didn't work I also think it might be like a generational thing you know mm -hmm. of just like not seeing like mental illnesses for really what they are and like having all these different assumptions about them I I totally agree and I I think that that's so much of it is generational and people are behind the times, but it's also all of this is so new and there's also like access to information and to be able to figure out, Hey, here's all of these symptoms yeah. that I have online. Uh, and you know, people are resistant, but it doesn't mean you should stop speaking up or, or doubt yourself. And another thing you said that, that was similar to my experience was, uh, talking about your mom being like you're just trying to give yourself a mental illness mm -hmm. it's so weird when you finally tell the truth and you're met with this resistance of like sure like sure yeah i bet that i bet you'd like that i bet that's what you <laughs> yeah because yeah. it was similar to me when when the guy mm -hmm. who molested me didn't get convicted and i was like why why do you guys think that i want you to think yeah this? why would you lie about that like, yeah, that baffles just, me. It's oh my just gosh. no reason. In those moments, it's it's hard to sort of take a step back and see more of the bigger picture, which is like, okay, they didn't want my friend and his sister to grow up without a dad. 
still crazy logic, but I get, I can empathize with it. And mm -hmm. it's similar to what you said about forgiving your suicidal friend for how mm -hmm. he reacted towards you. It, forgiveness is for us more than, more than yeah. the people that we're forgiving oftentimes. And Mm -hmm. where when we don't forgive that's when we hold on to these feelings and tendencies that manifest in uh, all sorts of different ways maybe even through dreams if we don't let go of the these the anger this anger or frustration or whatever we felt towards these people in the past the longer we harbor that the longer we'll be in this state that is oftentimes similar to what we actually caused what actually caused us to feel the feelings in the first place so yeah i think it was just a really valuable thing that you said there about forgiving your friend and how you stopped dreaming after that that's yeah. like, you know it's like not a coincidence right yeah so, definitely yeah, that's, definitely that's well, awesome. thank you yeah yeah totally yeah so i guess like with with borderline when i was trying to come to understand it um I, it took me a while to really, you know, really understand what it is because the name is really outdated. Um, so the name like borderline is like, you're on the border between like two different states of being. One is like very chaotic, what you would think is like crazy. And then the other is like very paranoid and um, maybe like you have the tendency to dissociate. And really it's like a lot more complicated than that. Um, some medical professionals prefer to call it like chronic affective instability disorder and, and affective really just means emotion. So what that means is like, I am just a very emotionally unstable person. And for a while I thought that was because my Zodiac sign is a cancer, but mm -hmm. that's not true. <laughs> like that's, that's not real. That's not really why typically you have to have the gen genetic like predisposition for it. And then it's like, created through trauma. So because I endured so much trauma with my mom, and then that kind of continued with my dad and my stepmom on like a, you know, kind of like on a lesser level, but it's still continued. Um, it really created a like identity disturbance within me. It, it made it to where I really had to like compartmentalize. Um, and borderline is really hard to diagnose in people because the symptoms like are across a lot of mental disorders or even not mental disorders. Like I'm sure some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, I feel like you've talked about before that you might be able to relate to. And that doesn't mean that you, you are borderline or have borderline. Um, but it just means that, you know, like you can identify with some of these things. Um, mm -hmm. One of the first things we kind of talked about it, I think a little bit, the first like criteria is a fear of abandonment. So like, we talked about how, you know, we can kind of get in our heads about, you know, like a text we sent or something we said in a conversation. And we get so worried that some little action is going to result in this, like, you know, someone not wanting to be friends with you. And in a way that's like them abandoning your friendship. Right. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, I, I always have, have that fear and it's hard. And like really any relationship that I have, like my, my boyfriend, we've been dating for like four and a half years, which is a really long time. And you'd think at this point, you know, he wouldn't just abandon me after I like, you know, give like a snippy comment about something, but sometimes I'll do that. And I'll be like, so worried that like, he's just gonna leave me. And it doesn't have anything to do with him. Um, it really just has to do with like, when I was younger and, and I had experiences with my mom, I never really knew if she was going to, like, I never knew how she was going to punish me. You know, yeah. I didn't know if she was going to physically leave or if she was going to ignore me or if she was going to hurt me in some way. Um, and that like fear of abandonment is like something that's like really deep rooted in, in um, borderline. The second thing is unstable and 
intense personal relationships. Like I have, you know, two of my best friends and I don't think they see our relationship as unstable, but I see it that way because if they're not constantly texting me every single day, I think that I've done something wrong and it has created problems in other relationships I've had with people. Um, because I will just assume that they are like trying to hurt me. Or sometimes I'll just assume that I've done something wrong and I'm like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm doing something wrong, maybe it's just better if I just like, don't talk to them ever again. Mm -hmm. And then they'll reach out months later and they're like, Hey, we used to talk on the phone, like all the time, like what's going on. And I'll be like, Oh, well, like you didn't answer my text at one time. So I just assumed that you didn't want to talk to me. And they're like, that's, what like where you know it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense um but like in in my mind like unfortunately that's that's how it works and i've tried to kind of understand why i've come to think that way and i think part of it might have to do with like how i would often see my mom as two different people like there's a lot of memories i have with my mom that are good memories and i don't tend to talk about them and the reason why is because it's hard for me to to see my mom as like a like a a gray person you know I only see her as a bad person and for a while I only saw my dad and my stepmom as good people so like when they do things that are are wrong sometimes oftentimes I'll just ignore red flags whether it be with my family or with friendships and if you or you know in relationships before the one I'm in now and that would like cause issues because if you just ignore ignore red flags over and over again then they have the people have the tendency to hurt you or they might end up manipulating you or or maybe they're not even doing it intentionally but like you know things will happen and then the relationship will end and then I will feel abandoned and it's like it's a very you know it's a very like complicated thing but I definitely recommend going on to YouTube and looking up med circle um and looking up borderline personality disorder because it really gave me like a full understanding of what it meant um and I think like you know, some of the points that I touched on, like fear of abandonment and unstable personal relationships, those are like really at the core borderline. Um, and as well as um, emotional instability, which I, I think I kind of described as well, with just the basic definition. There's other um, symptoms of borderline, like different impulses and stuff. But um, yeah, I highly recommend looking at MedCircle. It's so great to, to see that, like, you know, d- despite everything that you went through, you're on this quest for answers, like mm-hmm. you said. And there, you have this hero complex for fixing everybody else and making sure everyone else is okay. But it seems like now you're getting to the point where you're really starting to put a lot of this energy into yourself and figuring out like, why am I the way that I am and how, how can I heal these past experiences? And it's, it's just, um, it's awesome to see. And it like, I wanted to ask you, you know, for Mm -hmm. somebody who's, who's been through everything that you went through and is now on this healing journey and Mm -hmm. is clearly has done a lot of healing and is able to talk about these things now very openly and candidly. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point where you're at now? Yeah, um, I think the advice that I would give is one to be- it sounds so cliche now that I'm saying it. Believe in yourself, but really like <laughs> believe yourself, because I think me growing up, like if anybody listening to this can relate to the experiences that I've had, or maybe they think that they might have PTSD or borderline personality disorder, like I often would like gaslight myself into thinking 
differently, you know, and I'd think, okay, this is a problem or this is a problem or this person's not treating me right. And somehow I would find a way to like blame myself and I would find a way to like, you know, somehow try to maybe lessen the situation. Um, but I think it's important to like, if you're having these, these thoughts, you know, if you're, if you're thinking that you might have some sort of like mental illness, um, don't just, Google it a bunch like I did, like make sure you bring it up to um, your therapist. Also get a therapist if you don't have a therapist, um, if you want one. And if, you know, you can't afford a therapist or maybe even if you can, I think one of the biggest things that's really helped me is your podcasts. Um, Because I learned that, you know, just sitting down with my therapist, even for two hours a week, wasn't enough. And I have a lot of growth that I need to do outside of that. And when I'm by myself, I tend to feel very, yeah, I think a lot of people can relate. Like you tend to feel very alone and I have the tendency to like, you know, go through a a bunch of different emotions in a very short period of time. And I feel very lost. And I think what your podcasts have done for me is, is helped me feel less alone, you know, and listening to other people's experiences, like not only can, you know, you feel empathetic towards them, but you, it's also taught me to feel more empathetic towards myself. Like, I think if I'd sat down and had this conversation with someone, like, or if I'd sat down and had this conversation with you without listening to any of your content, like, I think I would be talking about it very differently than I am now. But, um, really focusing on my own personal growth has, has really been beneficial. And if anybody, you know, out there feels like they're in a very, you know, similar, similar situation to mine or has experienced that, like just keep listening to you and and talk about it with other people. And, and um, I think it's also like totally okay to joke about. Um, I think it's fun to joke about. That's, I think what I really love about, about your podcast and the standup. I want, I don't, I don't know if you can do this, but I want you to upload more of your standup to YouTube because I live in Arizona. I can't go to California to see you. And <laughs> I just like, I, I just love, I just love it, you know? Um, well, but I, yeah, definitely so much, like, Maddie. yeah, yeah, I of course. Of course. Really, really appreciate <laughs> you saying that. That's just yeah. like the most encouraging thing to hear. And I, I, you know, I'm just so thrilled that it's providing you with that kind of benefit. And mm-hmm. What you said too, I mean, the advice, it's funny how sometimes the realist advice seems cliche um, yeah. just because we've heard it uh, or maybe we, it's, it's been told to us, but it's, it's, there's a reason it's cliche, you know, it's yeah. because it's so real. It's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Believe yourself and believing in yourself are, they go mm-hmm. hand in hand. And sometimes it's hard to cultivate a sense of belief when you were brought up in the environments that we experienced because it makes you question whether or not you're worthy of believing in mm-hmm. and, and yeah. whether it's the right decision and that people will be affected negatively if you believe in yourself. But mm-hmm. I think that you can take it from both of us when you say that believing yourself is one of the most essential steps of the healing plot process. Yeah. And, definitely. and um, allowing yourself to let go of any sort of guilt that you have associated with not believing in yourself if you don't believe Mm -hmm. in yourself go into that feeling and start to deconstruct it and you've done so much it's funny seeing the the mechanical engineering aspect of your brain at work yeah not just for for, uh math and science but for self-diagnosis too yeah it's, it's essential that we look at these things without fear and i just admire your ability to go into these situations and and looking at yourself with just open eyes and just being like, I want to get to the bottom of this and I'm going to, and it feels like you are 
just so well on the way. So thank I, you. I, yeah, I'm thank really, you so really, much. Yeah, of course. And I'm really grateful to have had you on today. And and thank just you. Can't uh, can't wait to talk to you again sometime and and see. Awesome. Uh, thank see you. Yeah. Going. And um, yeah, just thanks so much for everything you said and for your time. And um, where can people thank find you. you if they would like to get in touch? Yeah, I think probably the best thing would be to go to my art account. Um, it's Charismati Art. Um, so it's like C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A-D-I, I think, art um, on, on Instagram. Um, I actually have a very creative part of my brain as well that I love to use when I'm not doing like calculations and stuff. Yeah. Um, so if that's, that's a good way to reach me. Fantastic. Well, Natty, thank you so much for doing this. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yo, that, was, that was so good. Thank you.